We have uh, a lot more worship and song in store, but worship and song is not mood music. It should be in response to truth that's been enjoyed and savored. So we are actually going to engage the Word in sermon and uh, preaching here in these next few minutes, and then we'll come back to song in response to where we've been. Let me start with prayer this morning. I want to pray for a young man named Matt Virgil who is a minister at Family Fellowship, who has um, had an alarming diagnosis or alarm, some alarming health issues come up, and a young 21-year-old man. So we want to pray for that people and pray for that family and pray for our next few minutes in worship. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we want to, uh, first of all, just acknowledge that it is a remarkable privilege to engage you in worship and song and word, and preaching, and fellowship. Lord, we want to just recognize that, uh, and acknowledge, and we thank you to prove that we confess that it's by the work of your Son alone. Lord, we consider his work sufficient, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. We can't add to it, we can just enjoy it, and respond to it, and just pray that this morning, that you'll find a people that are just enjoying you. Lord, I also want to pray, we want to pray together as, as Crosspoint. I want to pray for another church in town, for Family Fellowship. I want to pray for Paul Blue and his family, that they are enjoying you, that Paul hasn't been wrecked and rebuilt and uh, is full and overflowing as he's possibly even preaching right now at Family Fellowship. We pray for that people, Lord. We pray that you'll guard, you'll guard us and guard them from ever being in competition with each other, but that we'll have a true spirit of partnership and agreement with a gospel that's so ample, with a Lord that's so available, and a commission that's so uh, important. And Lord, we want to pray for a young man, we want to pray for Matt uh, Virgil, we pray for his fiance, we pray for his family, that they are seeing a big God on a big throne, and they are seeing sovereign grace and knowledge and understanding and plan and will and that they are resting in your big palm. Lord, we pray for a um, diagnosis or prognosis that's uh, encouraging and hopeful, but we pray that this family and that the people of God that are connected to this will not put their faith in a prognosis or a diagnosis, but they will put their faith in you. Lord, we um, just lift this young man up and ask you to uh, minister to them in a special way right now. We turn this time over to you, Lord, for your glory. I pray for a divine attentiveness. I pray for a clarity of mind, clarity of speech on my part. pray for an um, aggressive, relentless pursuit of engaging it, listening to it, receiving it. Lord, we look forward to what you have in store in these next few minutes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Turn to Luke chapter 1. We're not going to be turning a bunch of different places, but at least for the sake of those who may not have a Bible or may not be familiar with their Bible, uh, it's on page 856 of your Pew Bible, or 856 of your English Standard Version. <clears throat> I want to give you a little bit of preparatory 
I don't know what we'd call it, just preparatory something for these next few minutes, in how I want to approach this message in this passage. I've been thinking all week that this message is very, very impractical. And that's troubling for the preacher because some of the things they teach you in preaching is that you've got to give you know, these, these, these uh, instructions or directions exposed from the Word of where to go and how to respond and what to do. And this message is just impractical. I mean, I'm just, it's got, I've got bad news for you, and maybe it's bad news for me. It's just impractical. But the more and more I started thinking about it, that it's kind of like enjoying art. Some of you might have an affection for art, going to the art gallery, enjoying the paintings and the, the, the artists and their work. And some of you might think that's just impractical, and why bother with that? If it doesn't work, if it doesn't do something, then why spend your time doing that? But I started thinking about the picture of enjoying art is a lot like the picture of enjoying worship. That you go there not necessarily planning to do anything. You're just going there to enjoy the artist and to enjoy his masterpiece. And it's maybe the purest form of worship at all. And it's it's not that not doing something is not worship. Doing things is worship. And as we live and as we move and as we eat and as we engage and we speak, that's all worship. But there's also worship in just pure enjoyment where there's nothing else that you're doing except enjoying the master's hand and his masterpiece. So this morning, that's my goal and my burden, is that in these next few minutes, we can enjoy the master's hand, and we can enjoy the masterpiece. And even though we may not walk away with three steps to happy anything, (laughs) three steps to fixing X, that we may walk away changed from the inside out to where we enjoy our Lord more, to where Christmas has just changed from the inside out, to where our decisions are impacted from the inside out. So that's my burden, is that we can enjoy the artist and the masterpiece today. We're in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to begin with the end. Some of my favorite movies growing up, and since being an adult, I guess, I don't know why it's limited to growing up, are those movies that start with the end. And then they kind of come back and they build the story and then you come back to the end again and then everything's changed. Because initially you weren't really seeing it in context. You couldn't appreciate all the details and all the dynamics and what was actually taking place. So you go back and then it's exposed and then you come back to the end and you're gripped. So that's where we're going this morning. We're going to begin with the end in Luke chapter 1, verse 68. This is a song from an old man. That's all the information I'm going to give you initially. And we'll come back and flesh it out. A Christmas song from an old man named Zechariah. It says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. As He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, speaking to his newborn son, John. He says, you will be the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet 
into the way of peace. Let's go to the beginning of the story in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. What I want to do in these next few minutes is get to know this old man named Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest. Um, He's from this whole clan of the division of Abijah. His wife was also from a priest's family. So you could call these two people early PKs, priest kids. There's There's Zechariah and there's Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, that word blameless might give you the picture that they're sinless, but you need to realize that there's no one sinless, that they're not sinless here. Blameless was the same thing that was attributed to Noah. It's the same thing that was attributed to actually David referred to himself as blameless, and we know that David was not blameless because he was a murderer and adulterer. This picture of blameless is the picture of being all there. These guys were wholly devoted, wholly committed to the Lord. It's the picture of being all there. They're old, they're PKs, they're righteous before God, they're blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. As I was considering these guys and getting to know Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth, I was thinking, man, these guys are old and they're barren, but they're blameless. They're all there. And I started thinking, man, that's the profile for glory right there. God loves working with the um, seemingly insufficient. He seems to, to be drawn to working with the unlikely. And this is an unlikely couple in that they're old, they're barren, but yet they're all there and they're blameless, the profile for glory. Now, while Zach was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Let me tell you about what's happening here. Basically, Zechariah is representing the people. He's of this, this group, this division, the Abijah, division of Abijah. And the way this, this hour of incense worked, where you would offer incense, was that, that they would draw lots to decide who would go in there. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a priest to offer incense. They may wait their whole lives. Now, in this case, Zechariah was an old man. He's probably been waiting his whole life for this moment where the lot would be drawn, where he could go in there and represent the people of God and offer incense before the living God in the temple. So you can imagine that Zechariah has been preparing for this. He's, and, and, and once the lots, the lots are drawn and he sees that it falls to him, he's reading the manual. Okay, I want to make sure I do this right. I want to make sure I've got the incense in the right hand, that I've got the scoop in the left hand. I've got those backward. I've got the incense in the correct hand and the scoop in the other hand. I want to make sure that I go to the right place. I want to make sure that I walk up to the right altar, that I don't go in the wrong room like the Holy of Holies because I might drop dead. I want to make sure that I go to the room just outside the Holy of Holies and that I do this right. So he's chosen by lot. What is a picture of chance? It's almost like rolling the dice. But God's sovereign will and God's sovereign hand is all over his being chosen in this moment and in this hour. And while he's in there offering offering incense, the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. This was a special time for the people of God. 
The nation of Israel, at least in Jerusalem, the ones that are there gathered for this are outside waiting for Zach while he's in there offering incense. And remember, he's read his manual. He's got the incense in the correct hand. He's got the scoop in the other hand. He knows where to walk. He knows what to say. He knows what to do. But then something happens in verse 11. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And it says, Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. You can imagine that Zechariah has done his homework. He's prepared for this. He's got his incense in the correct hand. He's got his scoop in the other hand. He's standing in the right place. But then there's a, something happens. There's a little wrench thrown into the plan. And there just happens to be an angel standing right there next to the altar. And he's troubled, to say the least. And it goes on to say that fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zach, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Zechariah is in there to offer incense representing the people, and it's no small uh, detail that as he's representing the people, he's about to get some news that will impact the entire people, the nation of Israel, and more, including you and me. The angel tells him, he says, don't be afraid, Zach, for your prayer, that time that you and Liz have been praying and begging for a son, this will happen and you shall call his name John. And you, John, or you Zach, guess what? You'll have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. You'll see evidence of this in just a moment. And he will turn, listen to what John will do, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient of, to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's what John the Baptist's job will be. He's got a turning sort of business. He's going to turn the children of Israel to the Lord and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Do you hear that, shepherds? That's characteristic of the people of God, that the father's hearts are turned toward the children. They're not turned toward L3, our business X. Their family has dibs. That's characteristic of the people of God. That's what John the Baptist was doing. He's saying, people, let me turn you to the Lord. Let me turn you to your children. And he's also turning the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And in all that, what he's doing is he's making ready for the Lord a people prepared. What a rich description. What a rich title for the people of God. A people prepared. I would love it if God would look at Crosspoint someday and say, you are a people prepared. That was John the Baptist's job. So Zechariah, he gets this news from the angel. I can't help but imagine that Zach must have said, uh... Angel, can you give me all that again? I want to make sure I get that all down. You've kind of thrown a wrench in my plans. I was going to come in here and offer incense. I had it all down. I had the incense in the correct hand, the scoop in the other hand. I knew where to stand. I knew what to say. I know what to do. knew what to read. I knew what room not to go into. I knew where, where I, what room I was supposed to go into. And then you've thrown a wrench in things, and now you're giving me this heavy stuff. Can you repeat it? <laughs> I want to make sure I've got it all. Zechariah, what he says to the angel, he says... How shall I know this? Remember, he's troubled, he's fearful, so he's probably trembling as he says this. How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. That's kind of, he's gentle toward his wife. And he says, I'm old, but my wife, that's a nice way for a, refer to a lady, she's 
just advanced in years. Remember, it's the glory profile, old and advanced in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. Here's how you will know this. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord, and I was sent to speak to you and bring to you this good news. And behold, Zach, because you did not believe me, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. What he's saying is, Zach, the kingdom of God is breaking in right now. The kingdom of God has been poised and ready and waiting, and now the inbreaking of the kingdom of God is here. And because you didn't believe me, you're going to be mute and silent. Meanwhile, the people of God are waiting outside. It was an hour of incense. It must have been longer than an hour because they're outside and they're restless. They say, what happened to Zach? Did he walk into the wrong room? Is he stone cold dead laying up in the Holy of Holies? Are we going to wish we tied a rope to him so we could drag him out of there? I think he did his homework. He was reading up on it. It looked like he had the incense in the right hand and the scoop in the other hand and knew what to say. But the people of God are waiting outside. And the reason the people of God are waiting outside is because traditionally what happened when the priest came out after the Holy of Holies or after the time in the Holy, just the side of the Holy of Holies, and the time where they offered the incense is they were to give this blessing to the nation of Israel. It's a blessing I bet you've heard before. It's in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. This is what God told Moses to tell Aaron to tell the people. This would be the blessing that the nation of Israel would get for the next 1,500 years. Listen to this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance or His face upon you and give you peace. That's what Zechariah was supposed to say when he came out of the temple. And everybody's waiting for him and they're restless and they're wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. He's supposed to give this blessing that the nation of Israel has been getting for 1,500 years. And he comes out and he says, he can't say anything. He studied, he prepared, he read the manual. He's got the incense in the correct hand, the scoop in the other hand. He knew where to stand, what to say. He knew what room not to go into, what room he was supposed to go into. He did everything right, but Gabe, with his news, threw a wrench in everything. And he comes out, and the people of God are poised and ready for a blessing, the blessing that they've gotten for 1,500 years, and all he can give them is a, ah. Then he starts giving them, Some hand signals. He kept making signs to them. I just can't help but wonder what signs they were. Is he going like this? Sorry. I mean, he couldn't even say sorry. How do you make a sorry sign? He's making signs. He's like, if I could just picture this feeble old man. He's done his homework, but here he stands empty-handed before the people of God. He kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. I can't help but wonder if Zach, as he walked home to his house, walked home to Elizabeth, if he's kind of hanging his head like, man, I dropped the ball. I so fumbled this. I mean, I read the manual. I had the incense in the correct hand, the scoop in the other hand. I knew where to stand. I knew what to say. I knew what to do. I knew what room not to go into, but I fumbled it. (laughs) 
And I'm going home and I can't even say I'm sorry. I got to go home and just listen to Elizabeth. Can't even get a word in edgewise. So he drags himself home in verse 24. It says, after these days, we don't know how long it was, but sure enough, it's like Gabriel said was going to happen. His wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord God has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Now we're going to shift scenes. We need to meet someone else. I want to leave the scene the way it sits with Elizabeth pregnant, five months pregnant, newfound joy for the family, but Zachariah especially silent. And just imagine what Zachariah is doing. He's replaying it blow by blow. Here's what I did. Here's what I should have done. Here's what all this means. I'm processing what the Lord told me about this son that's going to be born to me. That's going to be a prophet to the Most High. But he sits in silence. Now let's move to a new scene. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it to be, be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, Gabriel's working in two different locations. He's shown up with Zach while he's in the temple, and now five months later, no, actually six months later, And plus an undisclosed period of time, he shows up and gives the word to Mary. Mary responds with belief in contrast to Zach. Then that's why she's not silent. And then let's see what happens. We're going to shift scenes here in verse 39. Here's where these two stories collide. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a town in Judah. This is about 70 miles away. A young pregnant woman, probably in her first trimester, is hustling off with haste to travel 70 miles. Not in a Lincoln, not in the VW Bug, but in the old-fashioned way to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah. Hmm, quiet, silent, Zach sits. To the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped. In her womb, just as Gabriel said. He said, that baby's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the very beginning. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud voice, 
Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now remember, Zach sits silent. He's listening, and he's piecing the dots together, connecting the dots. He's asking questions. He's chewing. He's studying. He's considering what Gabriel told him. He's considering what he's seeing right now in front of him, this interaction between Elizabeth and Mary. And it says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then Mary busts out in song. She says, my soul, she sings, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he whose mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And Zach listens. He's listening to Mary sing. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. And the rich He sent away empty. He's helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. Mary sings and Zechariah listens and all Zechariah really has is just the memory of kind of a fumbled hour of incense. He's got this message from Gabriel and he's got Elizabeth talkative. And here he's reckoning with these things and he's piecing these dots together as he hears Mary sing, as he watches Elizabeth try and accommodate John the Baptist doing backflips in her womb. And he's piecing all these things together, sitting in silence. In verse 56, it says, Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. If you've been looking at timelines, you recognize that that's about the nine-month point. We don't know if Mary stuck around for John the Baptist's birth, but we know that's about the time that Mary would have given birth, and that's where we move in verse 57. It's the appropriate introduction. Now the time came. The story slows. It's been moving at month's pace, and now it moves, slows to a moment-by-moment account of John the Baptist's birth. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. And sure enough, just as Gabe said, she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Gabe also said there would be great joy when this boy is born. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father. It's funny, he's only mute. He's not deaf. <laughs> but they're making signs to him, and he's, Just talk to me. What do you want? And really saying, what do you want to name this boy? Inquiring what he wanted to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet. Give me a sticky pad and a ballpoint. He said, his name is going to be John. That's what Gabe told me. His name will be John. And they all wondered, hmm. And immediately, his mouth is opened and his tongue loosed. For nine months, at least, Zach has been silent. 
with all he had to deal with and all he had to reckon with was a fumbled hour of incense. All he had to reckon with was this word from Gabe about this son that's going to be born, that's just born right in front of him. He's gotten the privilege of piecing some dots together, connecting some dots and seeing Mary show up carrying baby Jesus. And now his mouth is open and his tongue is loose and he spoke blessing God. Don't you wonder what he had to say after nine months? We're about to find out. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Now, we've come full circle to Zechariah's song. Now in context, this old man sings after he's been silent for nine months. And this is not an out-of-body song where he's not engaged. This song is wrought from silence. This song is wrought from study. This song comes from engaging the Word, engaging the Lord in worship, searching the Scriptures. Give me some insight into what is unfolding in front of us. Is this the kingdom of God breaking in? Here he sings. This is the context for this song. So he sings, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. We're going to break the song up into this piece. I want to just consider this piece for a moment. I want to get into Zach's mind. I want to consider what Zach must have gnawed on for at least nine months as he sat in silence. And he listened to these things and these events unfold. Keep your finger in Luke chapter 1 and turn over to Exodus chapter 4. I want to show you where Zechariah went in these nine months. I want to show you where his mind and his heart went because this is going to help us understand this song. Keep your finger ready to look at Exodus chapter 4 verse 31. I'm going to read from the song again, and we're going to engage a few passages in Exodus and consider where Zechariah has been. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Look at Exodus chapter 4, verse 31. And the people believed when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Zechariah's song continues, and he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This song is also about David, but it's especially about the Exodus. Let's continue. He spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Look at Exodus chapter 6, verse 5. God is speaking to the nation of Israel. He says, I have heard the groaning of my people while you're in Israel, while you're slaves and in bondage. I've heard the groan of the people 
of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. And then the song continues. I've remembered His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve without fear. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, that you might serve me without fear. Look at this picture, that you might serve me. Exodus chapter 7, verse 16. This is what God tells Moses to go tell Pharaoh. Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. Chapter 8, verse 1. Go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Chapter 8, verse 20, the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and says to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Chapter 9, verse 1, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. Chapter 9, verse 13, Let my people go that they may serve me. Chapter 10, Verse 3, let my people go that they may serve me. And then finally, Pharaoh, chapter 10, verse 7, Pharaoh's servants say to him, Hey, Pharaoh, how long this man shall be a snare to us? Let the men go. Let these, these Israelites go that they may serve the Lord their God. That's what the Exodus is about. But it's so unfamiliar to us because it's just been vegetailed if treated at all. This is our story, and this is the context for the song that Zechariah sings. Christmas cannot be understood apart from the Exodus. And that's why what, ha- what is happening here, nine months of silence has enabled, if we could but sit for nine months, it's nine months of silence for this man who knew Torah, who engaged the Old Testament, not like Veggie Tales, but to get to know the character of his God and how he's interacted with his people. Nine months of silence educates him that here, in the Christmas story, God is visiting his people just like he did in Egypt. That here, God is remembering his holy covenant just like he did with his people here in Egypt. That God is delivering his people just like he did in Egypt so that we might serve him without fear. It took nine months of silence to piece that together, but he's got it. The picture here in the Christmas story is that God has visited his people and that God is remembering his covenant and that God is delivering his people so that we might serve him without fear. You want to enjoy the Christmas story? Go back and read the Exodus. That's our story. The picture is that Christ is a new Passover lamb. He's the final Passover lamb. We cannot understand the significance of the Christ child Apart from the Exodus, nine months of silence gave this to Zach. The song changes tone in verse 76. Go back to Luke chapter 1. His song changes direction. He's been singing what's almost like a psalm, enjoying not only the Exodus, but also enjoying the connection to what is unfolding at the inbreaking of the kingdom of God right here in front of him. So the song changes direction from probably what's oriented upward as he's enjoying what's taking place. And now he's turning to his newborn son, John. This kid, I don't know, moments... Well, no, he would have been eight days old because it was at his circumcision that he was named. 
He's eight days old. He turns to him and he looks at him. I don't know if he's pointing at him, but I would have been. I'd have said, boy, and you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. That's his charge. Little boy, while I name you, that's what you're going to be about. But then the song changes. Then the song moves to what I'm going to call the chewy nougat sinner. Listen to where it goes in verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. I want you to appreciate that when Zechariah came out of that temple empty-handed with no blessing for the people. He's supposed to come out and say, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. He's done it right. He had the incense in the correct hand, the scoop in the other hand. He knew where to stand. He knew what to say. He was supposed to give them a blessing for 1,500 years. The nation of Israel had been receiving this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face or his countenance upon you and give you peace. When he comes out of there empty-handed after that time where Gabe said, you're going to be silent. Now he's got at least nine months where that blessing is still given to the people. But now it's the new and improved blessing. Now it's the blessing fulfilled. He's been praying. it. The people of God have been praying for it for 1,500 years. Lord, make your face shine upon us. Lord, be gracious to us. Lord, lift up your countenance upon us and give us peace. And listen to the chewy nougat sinner. Because of the tender mercy of our God, the motive of the gospel is mercy and grace. John's name, after all, is that God's grace has been visiting on us. That's what John's name means. The story is about grace showing up with feet and hands and a little baby's cry. The blessing that's been given to the people for 1,500 years is being fulfilled at the end breaking of the kingdom of God right here. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. They've been praying. Make your face shine upon us. And here it is. The sunrise is coming from on high. It's going to shine all right. It's going to shine and it's even going to illuminate dark places to give those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death light to guide our feet into the way of peace. And their prayer, their blessing has been the Lord lift up his countenance upon you to give you peace. And here it is. And contrary to the typical message of Christmas, kind of a horizontal peace thing, kumbaya, let's all grab a Coke and teach the world to sing message where everybody's peaceful horizontally with each other. And the picture is not a horizontal peace. This is a vertical peace. Look down on the page. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's the peace that man needed right there. Not a horizontal peace. Man needs a vertical peace. Because man is crossways with God. And this, the solution to that is being fulfilled right here in the Christmas story. Where God is visiting his people. I think things change when you consider context. 
things change when you realize that Zechariah has been sitting around for at least nine months chewing on this, gnawing on this, thinking, man, I wish I could have given that blessing. God had another blessing in store. And that blessing is not just for the nation of Israel. Because at this point, eight days into it, for the circumcision, the naming of the child, it would have probably been close friends and family members nearby as he's sharing these words. It was not only for them, it was the blessing for the nation of Israel. And it was also when Luke recorded it and when Luke disseminated this truth, this story to the people of God in that day and age, it was also for them, for Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, barbarians, name them. And thankfully, it's our story too. That's why this song is not a Jewish song. It's our song too. And a song that we can enjoy. I've really been thinking on how to end the message this morning. And again, there's no real three steps to anything. It's my burden is that you'll enjoy the story. You'll enjoy how God has been working with the people over the ages. You'll enjoy the consideration that God sometimes uses silence to illuminate His plan and where people can connect the dots, where people can figure out how God has been in, how He's been working this gospel story out over the ages. My prayer today is that with all the distractions of the holidays and all these things that travel and family and all these things that are in store, that we can for the moment today enjoy His plan. Enjoy his gospel, and even enjoy a story unfolding with an old man and his wife. Let's worship in song.